Welcome to Frankly Judaic, a podcast that explores cutting-edge Judaic studies research conducted at the University of Michigan. I'm your host, Jeremy Shear. If you were a typical Jew living in Europe in the 1800s, you probably didn't do much reading for pleasure. You likely read the Bible and liturgical texts, but unless you were part of the intellectual elite, you probably didn't read much actual literature. But in the late 19th century, that all started to change. Thanks to cheaper ways of reproducing and disseminating written works, people started reading for entertainment. Poems, short stories, novels, essays, and newspapers quickly became part of the popular culture. Literature is the new thing. It's a new, it's a new player. In, in the course of one person's lifetime, they could have gone from a, a, a context in which literature essentially does not exist or does not exist in a relevant way for their lives to a way, uh, to a, a place, a context in which literature is everything. This is Ronnie Maisel, a postdoctoral research fellow at the Frankel Institute for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. While many scholars study the writers of these works, she's fascinated by the readers. In particular, she's interested in the reading practices of the late 19th and early 20th century, when literature became part of mass culture. And she's particularly intrigued by reading malpractices, a set of habits that she calls bad reading. According to Maisel, Jews have a long history of being accused of being bad readers. But what exactly does that mean? So the way that it's portrayed is that Jews are unable to understand that they have some sort of an incapacity, a disability in understanding the text. Although, um, you know, we could also say it's not uh, an inability, but rather a refusal. This accusation goes back all the way to the time of Paul, Maisel says. Paul uh, understands Jewish law abstractly and accuses Jews of approaching scripture in a literal way, right? So if, the, if scripture tells you you should circumcise the penis of your son, so the Jews would understand that literally and do that, whereas Paul would understand that abstractly as uh, circumcising the um, foreskin on, of your heart. This accusation of Jews as excessively literal readers persisted throughout the centuries, Maisel says. But what interests her is that starting in the late 19th century, Jewish intellectuals began to embrace this accusation and to turn it on their own readers. They say also, well, yeah, Jews are, they have some sort of a textual uh, inability. They're somehow fundamentally inept uh, in approaching text in the right way, understanding that a text, that there is a difference between text and the world, that the world exists beyond the text, or let's say that they have um, a fetishistic approach to the book. They're fascinated by the book as an object and are not really paying attention to its, let's say, you know, more spiritual contents. Underlying this accusation, Maisel says, is a desire on the part of the intellectual elite for their fellow Jews to Europeanize, to become more modern and enlightened. Jewish readers didn't exactly live up to these lofty expectations. They don't necessarily take part in that uh, project of reforming themselves, of, of turning themselves into modern European subjects, rational subjects, enlightened subjects, right? They, they don't take part in that project. They, they uh, refuse it. And instead, they, you know, uh, go about doing their own business with texts. 
and and when I say that, I mean you know that they preserve all sorts of other attachments and other approaches to textuality, to text, to what to do, what do we do with a text. They might you know create new ways of approaching text, uh, but in 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 any way, uh, they're not necessarily uh, reacting directly to that accusation. Uh, and that demand to reform themselves, to rehabilitate themselves and, and become new readers and new writers and, and new, um, new textual consumers. For many critics, including Jewish intellectuals, this refusal to become modern readers was symptomatic of a larger Jewish resistance to becoming fully European. And this is something that... Um, it's also very common in the European uh, imagination, enlightenment and ma- imagination of the Jews. You know, they refuse to become part of Europe. They refuse to become part of, to become subjects of new nation states, of uh, new enlightened empires. They they don't take part in that. And this kind of like refusal is always attributed to Jews. Yeah, maybe it's not a biological incapacity, but a sort of a cultural, uh, let's say, ugliness, right? There are a lot of the discussions about Jews being ugly, being unable to appreciate aesthetics. Uh, they're unhygienic. They live in these kind of like backwater backyards of crumbling empires. You know, they, they kind of like go around in their muddy towns and they're just unable to uh, participate in all of these modernizing projects. And, and so Jewish intellectuals uh, really accept those critiques, um, not only with regards to textuality, but also with regards to many other aspects of Jewish life. Maisel's current work focuses on two groups of texts. One group looks at how violence is represented in Hebrew and Yiddish literature. Scholars agree, Maisel says, that taken together, these works convey a national message. What, what, what do I mean by that? The text represents violence to us, the readers. And by representing that violence, we're supposed to understand the Jewish problem in Europe. It's a problem of precariousness. It's a problem of insecurity, right? Jews have a, a, a problem of being um, targets of violence. And then the text presumably also presents to us the solution to that violence. Let's say that's a national solution. You know, uh, d- Jews need to be uh, taken out of Eastern Europe and, and put in Uh, another territory where they would be protected, right? This is one solution to that problem. What interests Maisel is that readers don't necessarily pick up on that message. But instead, they focus on other parts of the text. They allow themselves to get distracted by the graphic and gruesome descriptions. They allow themselves to um, be overtaken and to lose track of the wider kind of like thesis, the wider message that the Texas might or might not be trying to convey to them. Maisel gives the example of the 17th century chronicle Abyss of Despair, which describes the Cossack uprising in Ukraine. The text was continuously published and translated in editions that were widely circulated throughout Eastern Europe up until the early 20th century. For this reason, Maisel believes it shaped Jewish reading culture in important ways. The Chronicle does many different things, she says. It describes the history of the conflict that gave rise to the uprising, and even raises interesting theological questions. Whether, for example, the violence Jews were experiencing was some kind of divine punishment for their transgressions. But then it also has these really remarkable, horrifying descriptions of violence of, you know, torture and revenge and sexual violence and suicide 
and and you see all these kind of like dismembered body parts, right? It's very visceral. It's very, it's jarring. And what's interesting to me is to look at the ways in which readers, out of all these different genres that the text has within it, they focus precisely on these moments, these moments that are marginal in the text as a whole, but are so jarring that they really take over the experience of reading. Now, you might be wondering, how exactly does Maisel know how readers reacted to the text, or any of the text she studies for that matter? It's not as if she can scour Amazon reviews for clues. Well, she had to get creative. For example, she looks at the different editions and translations of a text, as well as how images from a text make their way into works of modern Hebrew and Yiddish fiction. Some translations took great liberties with the original text, adding entire stanzas. A good example is the translations from Hebrew to Yiddish of the poem In the City of Killing, which describes the Kishinev pogrom of 1903. The translation, uh, translations of it introduce new materials into the poem. Uh, in the beginning, you know, from Hebrew to Yiddish, there is an added stanza that really brings the, the poem, adds to it new uh, grotesque levels uh, that really focus on, on uh, uh, gothic and grotesque materials, an image of Jews rising up from their graves and walking all around the world in a spectacle of beggary. In this case, bad translation was a two-way street, Maisel says. The final form of the poem known today in Hebrew includes parts of the Yiddish translation. So there are these kind of like back and forth moves never never acknowledged in that process that really shows us how translation and particularly bad translation or you know very liberal translation created uh, an, um, a very flexible textual culture in which uh, readers have many options uh, on what they choose to focus their attention of, on, whether that is the national message or some things that go you know far beyond it. Although Maisel may not have online reader reviews at her disposal, she does have some tools to help her understand readers' reactions more directly, including letters people wrote to each other where they describe what they thought of different works they'd read. And this is also a kind of like self-selecting crowd, yeah, because we mostly have the correspondences of intellectuals themselves. But what's interesting is that when a person describes uh, the process of reading, they're not always conscious, let's say, of uh, what to say or what not to say. They experience their emotional reaction to a text. And, some th and sometimes I think this turns this uh, uh, testimony of, reader, of reading, even of an intellectual, into something that's uh, very fruitful. You know, if a person describes, you know, how this part of the text captured their attention and this part did not, you know, this already tells us something that is important. What it tells us, Maisel says, is how they saw the world around them. That's why Maisel is so fascinated by readers, because they give us a portrait of Jewish society at a particular point in time. The readers open to us an opportunity to touch on the really huge array of reactions and the, the, the really wide spectrum of possibilities that the literary text allowed for, for their readers. Uh, so, as I said before, you know, this is relevant for, for let's say, nationalism. So, a, a text produces an, uh, a nationalist message, but then a reader can take it or not take it. And so, this becomes a reflection 
of the myriad uh, of ways in which Jews perceived of not only text, as I said, but also of their lives. We tend to think about European Jewish history, Maisel says, in terms of political factions, including Zionists, socialists, and communists, and in terms of religious factions, including Hasidim and other ultra-Orthodox groups. Focusing on readers allows her to get beyond these constructs. The ways that people approach texts uh, shows that they themselves never thought, or many of them did not think of themselves in, in the terms of these you know, different boxes that they had to check. And so we, we begin to see a much more colorful and nuanced uh, version of the story of uh, Jewish culture and Jewish life in Eastern Europe um, in the late 19th century and early 20th century, which is what I'm excited about. You've been listening to Frankly Judaic, a production of the Gene and Samuel Frankel Center for Judaic Studies at the University of Michigan. The executive producer is Jeffrey Weidlinger. Jen Richler is the lead producer. You can find and subscribe to Frankly Judaic anywhere you get podcasts, and if you like the show, please leave us a five-star review. Thanks for listening.